0: When a crisis hits, we want to know, why is this happening? Should bad things, should horrible things, happen to good people? On one hand, we may acknowledge intellectually that bad things sometimes happen to good people. We know that sometimes even good people get sick. We all know that there's going to come a time in which we are all going to pass away. We know that sometimes even good people are going to have car accidents. We know that there are bad things that sometimes happen even to good people, and yet we wrestle when we face different crises in life. On the other hand, sometimes we wrestle with uh, what has this good person done to deserve this? Especially when something tragic, something absolutely horrible happens to somebody that that we think is good. We think, look how long this person has served God. Look how long uh, this person has tried to be a good person. Look how long this person has done X, Y, or Z. They don't deserve this. And we wrestle with that in our mind. And as we wrestle with that in our minds, sometimes we begin to guilt up. I shouldn't be having these kind of thoughts. I shouldn't be wrestling with these kind of questions. And so sometimes we lay it on ourselves. What what do I Why am I thinking along these lines? And so we seek to understand how God would do something Or, at the very least, allow something to happen to a good person. And maybe even to a bad person. We might wonder that. In recent weeks, several in our church family have experienced great crises of varying degrees. And in the life of a congregation, you're going to have highs and lows. There's going to become times in the life of a congregation where everyone seems to be doing well and everyone seems not to be maligned. But then there are going to be those times in a congregation when it's like everything happens at once. There's an old scene out there, an old phrase, everything happens in threes. I don't know if that's true or not. Sometimes it certainly seems like that. Maybe it's just because when that second thing happens, you start looking around for that third problem to happen. I don't know. But when we see those crises, we we begin to wonder, why is this happening? And as it happens within a church family, we want to know how we can help others. How can we explain this? How can we encourage someone who's going through a crisis? And one place that we can turn is to the story of Job. If you have your Bibles this morning, please be turning in the Old Testament to the book of Job. And some of you have heard me talk about Job before, but as we think about Job, I want us to consider what insights we can gain as we look at the opening chapters of Job. I want us to think about how these insights relate to our struggles that we face today. And maybe specifically to some of the things that have been happening within our church family. How can we encourage one another? Think about the insights that we can gain as we look at Job. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There is a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yokes of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. When we look at Job, the introduction is given to him, or given of him, that he was a blameless man. He was an upright man. Now, if Job wrote Job, we might think, well, that's pretty arrogant to say. But we have no reason to believe that Job wrote this. This is coming from the point of view of a narrator writing this story. And he says, look, this is how Job was. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He tried to run away from evil. And it's not just the narrator who says this. Because as we move down into chapter 1, look at verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. God Himself describes Job in those terms. If God were standing before an audience today and describing you, Do you think that God would use those terms to describe you? Don't answer that. I'm just pointing out that that's how good, how great of a man Job was. And and by the way, he had some great financials to go along with that. Those financials existed in a time in which in in an agrarian setting you measured your wealth not in gold and silver, but in your livestock. If we were writing this today today, Joe, we might say that he had tons of Harleys, right? Uh, we, we might describe it as, as he had tons of houses. Uh, he had, had many properties. He had many investments. But in antiquity, he had hogs, right? But not those kind of hogs. Actually, it doesn't say he had any hogs, but he had sheep and, and all sorts of different livestock. He was a wealthy, wealthy man. And we might look at someone like Job and we might say, well, why does Job have this wealth? Is it because of the kind of man he was? His greatness in terms of his spirituality is not only described by the narrator in those terms, but also demonstrated in what Job did. We're told of his sons gathering together, it says, on their day. Most scholars presume that to mean on their birthday, although it doesn't specify their birthday, but they would have great feasts. And look what Job would do in verse 5 after those big parties. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, that is, his children, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And so Job said, look at my adult children. They know how to party. And they're partying. I want to make sure that they haven't sinned against God. They haven't cursed God. And so I'm going to get up first thing in the morning and I'm going to go sacrifice for my children to make sure that their sins are forgiven. That's how God-fearing Job was. He wanted his children to be right with God. That was his number one goal in life. I want my children to be right with God. I want to be right with God. And so that's the type of man that Job was. But as we look at Job and we look at his wealth and we look at his faith, someone might ask the question, what was the source of his wealth? Is the only reason Job was faithful to God is because God had blessed him with all that wealth. Or you might flip the question and say, "Is the only reason that God blessed Job with all that wealth is because Job was faithful to God?" Which came forth, first, the wealth or the faith? the faith or the wealth? That was Satan's question. Satan wants to test Job's integrity. He wants to test Job's faithfulness. He wants to find out why Job is as faithful as he is. Will he break if all these blessings that God has given him are taken away from him? Job has his heart, his faith, his integrity tested by Satan. Notice verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said to him, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. What's Satan asking God? What is his proposition before God? It's twofold, isn't it? Job is faithful because you've put a hedge around him. No one can touch him. You won't let me harm him, God. So why not be faithful to you? It's easy to be faithful to you, God, when you put your protection around someone and no harm can come to them. Number one, you've protected him. Number two, God, the reason that He's faithful to you is because you have blessed Him with all these things, and God, He just wants more blessings from you. You take those blessings away and He's not going to be faithful to you anymore, God. Is Job's faithfulness true in his heart or is it only circumstantial? Is it only situational? Everything that happens to Job from this point on is a result of the fact that Satan is testing Job's integrity. But it doesn't stop there. Satan does a number of terrible things to Job. And yet Job remains faithful to God. It's important for us to recognize that in the English translation, we're introduced to this character named Satan. Some translations might say devil. In the Hebrew text, it's the equivalent of our English word Satan, which means adversary, opponent. Satan is our opponent. Satan is our adversary. Satan is an adversary, an opponent, an opponent of God. He opposes God. He opposes you and I. Sometimes the different name for Satan is used, and that is devil or diablos, which means slanderer, the accuser. One way or the other, Satan is out to get you and I and Satan is out to get Job. He is opposing Job. He is opposing Job's faithfulness. He is opposing uh, the relationship that Job and God have together. And so here comes Job, or Satan rather. And when God asks Satan, where have you been? Isn't it interesting that Satan says, I've been roaming the earth. It seems like the implication is That he's been searching the earth to see who he can oppose, who he can destroy, who he can lead away from God. And did you notice that God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan knows who Job is. Have you ever picked up on that before? God says, Have you considered Job? And Satan says, Oh yeah, I know that Job guy. And the only reason he's faithful to you is because of all these things. Maybe he had tried to tempt Job. As we move into the book of Job in the coming weeks, we're going to see how Job at least describes himself as someone who has been pretty good against temptation. Maybe Satan had tried to entice him away. But Job has always remained faithful to God. And Satan's reasoning is only because you put a hedge around him, only because you have blessed him with these things. His first reasoning. You put a hedge around him, you protect him, and you have blessed him. But as we move into chapter 2, we see that there is a second occasion. Job remains faithful to God, and Satan comes a second time before God. Notice verse 4, chapter 2. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skins for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, you put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. It wasn't good enough that Satan took everything away from Job that Job had. Job remained faithful. And so Satan says, you've put a hedge around him, you've blessed him, but now you've given him good health. You take away his good health and he will curse you to your face, God. Again, a test of his integrity. A test of his faithfulness. Because Satan is the adversary. He is the opponent. He wants to destroy our relationship with God. He wants to lead us away. But notice, how does Satan do this? He brings crisis. In fact, he brings crises into the life of Job. Let's look at these verses quickly. Verse 14. Verse 13, rather. Now on the day when his sons, that is Job's sons, and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, and burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you, while he was still speaking. Another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, and made a raid on the camels, and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck down the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Did you notice that rapid succession of, tra- of, of tragedy? While he was still speaking... While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking. In a moment, Job's life was turned upside down. Everything he had was taken away from him in an instant. His life was changed. That wasn't good enough for Satan. Satan. Job remains faithful to God, and we move into chapter 2, and then all, as we have already seen, Satan says, "We'll take his health from him, and he'll curse you, God. And so as we come down into chapter 2, verse 7 says, And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a pot shirt to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Job is in physical agony. as we look at the crises that have hurt Job, that have come into his life, think about what these things are. A crisis of theft, violence, and financial disaster at the hands of men. First the Sabaeans come and take away some of his livestock, and then the Chaldeans, another people group, come and take away the rest of his livestock. Not only have they taken away his livestock, but they have killed his servants, his employees. Now, if you are a manager of people, I don't know what kind of a relationship you have with your employees. If you are an employee, I don't know what kind of a relationship you have with your boss. Hopefully it's a good one, but hopefully you consider those individuals to be friends or at least acquaintances, at least people that you like. What if all of a sudden they died? Theft violence, but for Job, it also, as we talked about, represents his financial stability, his financial wealth. He now is also facing financial crisis. Another servant comes in and says, look, uh, while, while we were out tending the livestock, fire came, from, came down from heaven. The fire of God came down and consumed all your livestock. I don't know if that was a volcanic event or lightning that they're describing here. But natural disaster took away some of Job's wealth, some of his employees. But then another servant comes and says, a storm came across the wilderness and blew down the house where all your kids had gathered together for a birthday party and killed all your kids. Maybe it was the same storm that brought lightning, if it was lightning that we read about the first time. Do we know anything in Texas about storms that produce lightning and winds that can blow down a house? What kind of crises can we face in life? Violence at the hand of somebody else? Theft? Financial crises? Natural disasters? And then Job lost his health. Do we ever face medical crises in our lives? Those are all crises that we face. And Job faced them all. In quick succession, he faced them all. And he was suffering. And he was suffering because of what had happened. Who's responsible? Who caused Job's suffering? This gets at the heart of the book of Job. Could you say that nature and man caused Job's suffering? Certainly. Mother nature, we might say. Storms, perhaps a volcano, I don't know. Men, the Sabeans, the Chaldeans. You, you could look and say this was caused by men, this was caused by, by the natural order of things. Did God cause Job to suffer? As you look carefully at the text here in chapter 1 and 2, you do get a sense that God, at least in some sense, takes responsibility for what's happening to Job. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him, to ruin him without cause. God says, You incited me against him to ruin him without cause. In what sense did God, or was God, incited to ruin Job? Did God make these things happen to Job? Or did God allow these things? to happen to Job. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job. So who's actually doing the harm to Job? Satan is. But God is allowing Satan to do this. In that sense you could say and apparently God makes the statement himself I have been incited against him. But it's not God that's actually doing it. It is Satan. Again, twice, God says he is in your power. You know what's interesting about that statement? He is in your power. What's interesting is that God limits what Satan can do. Only do not put your hand on him. Chapter 1 verse 12. Chapter 2 verse 6. Don't take his life. God limits what Satan is able to do. And Satan makes no qualms about it. Satan is submissive to God's power. But God allows these things to happen to Job. In synopsis, we see that God allowed things to happen, but He limited what Satan could do. Satan inflicted these things on Job, but he used men and nature to do it. Man, the evil of man, became a tool for Satan. The natural order of things and the devastation that can come through the natural order of things became a tool of Satan. These are the insights that we find as we look at the story of Job. There's one other thing we need to consider, and that is that Job is not privy to anything in this backstory. We have the ability to look at what the narrator tells us of Job, and we know what's happening to Job. But Job doesn't. And yet, Job keeps his faithfulness to God. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. He took a part served to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank you, sweetie. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job considers God to be the one responsible for bringing the adversity, and yet even though he acknowledges God's role in it, he still does not curse God. He still is loyal to God. He still is faithful to God. He is accepting what is happening. But he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that Satan is testing his integrity. As we move through the book, Job is going to wrestle to understand why this is happening to him. He's never going to curse God. He's never going to reject God. He's never going to deny God. But he is going to demand an answer from God. Perhaps we see him blame God. Look carefully at chapter 1, verse 22. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. But as we move through the book of Job, we're going to find that he most assuredly puts everything that has happened to him at the feet of God, as he wrestles to understand, why is this happening to me? How do these insights that we find from Job in these opening chapters relate to our struggles? First of all, we want to know why we suffer or face crisis. Often we can't know why we face things that we are enduring. It may be that we suffer because of the sins of others. As the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans came against Job and took his livestock, killed his servants, sometimes we suffer because other people make sinful, immoral, bad choices. Sometimes we suffer because Satan is testing us, as Satan was testing Job's integrity and faithfulness. But we may not have the good pleasure of knowing why it is that we suffer. Sometimes we want to blame God for why we suffer, sometimes in a negative sense, sometimes in a positive sense. Have you ever heard anyone say, everything happens for a reason? That's blaming God for what's happening. Have you ever heard anyone tell someone who's suffering, oh, God has a plan? What, what are you saying when you make that statement? God planned for you to suffer. Can you know that God planned for you to suffer? Can you know that God had a reason for you to suffer? Sometimes the reason that we suffer is because simply somebody else sins. Sometimes the reason we suffer is because Satan is testing us. We need to be careful before we blame God. Satan is our adversary and he wants us to deny God. He wants us to curse God. Uh, On the one hand, this duel between God and Satan is a test of Job's integrity. And, And we might say it's a test of why Job is faithful to God. Is it because God's blessed him? Will Job remain faithful to God if everything good in his life is taken away from him? On the other hand, is there any doubt of what Satan's ultimate goal is? If not implicitly stated, God or Satan wants Job to move away from God. And when we face struggles and crises in our lives, we need to understand that there is an opponent who wants to use those crises to draw us away from God. And that's His plan. And we may or may not be suffering as a test of faith. We may just be testing, be suffering because of somebody else's sin. Maybe we are suffering because of our own sin. But Satan wants us to move away from God. As we face financial crises, relationship crises, health crises, we wonder, where is God? We're going to see Job ask that question. God is silent in this portion of Job, allowing a choice for Job. What are you going to do, Job? And yet God is not free from acting. He limits Satan's work. Eventually he's going to restore Job, not as a reward, but because he loves Job. And God loves you. And he limits how Satan is able to touch your life. So with those insights in mind, how do we encourage others? We need to avoid cliches which seek to solve a problem which we may not understand. We need to avoid saying things like everything happens for a reason or God has a plan because we don't know what those things are. And that can reap coals on somebody's head. We need to avoid cliches which minimizes someone's pain. Job was suffering. It was okay for him to voice his misery as he suffered. We need to avoid advice that leads to doubting God. But we do need to show love and concern for others. We face crises in life and we may wonder why we face those crises. As we face those crises, we want to know why. And many times we cannot know why. Often it is because Satan is our adversary and he's seeking our spiritual harm. We need to remain loyal to God. Because He does see and He does care. And we need to rally around those suffer and let them know that God's love is always present for them if you are here this morning and you want to seek God's help in your life have the sins of your life removed and and follow God and call on his name we'd love to help you do that by being united with Jesus in baptism if that's what you want to do this morning once you come as together we stand and sing